Siwa. It's Zach Langley Chichi. I'm so popular. Last week we talked about Sky Ferreira and David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. Today is my 26th birthday, and um, it was recently the second anniversary of the podcast. So for the third year annually, I'm back with one of my oldest, dearest friends to reflect on getting older, the changes in the world around us, and um, discuss a, a movie that sings to our mutual experience, uh, Tom Perota's uh, adapted election directed by Alexander Payne. Um, and yes, as I said, I'm here with a wonderful dear friend. Who are you? Um, who am I? I am someone who has, after studying for the bar all summer, I've now taken the bar, which means that I no longer have any like identifying characteristics about myself because <laughs> I'm not studying and I don't know what to do. But other than that, my name's Natalie and we have the same birthday, even though it's not my birthday. This is kind of weird. It's not my birthday yet because I'm not in the future. Yeah, it's only my birthday for now, but um, yeah, it really is. And you're coming up on, you're 27, I'm coming up on, right now 26. So mm-hmm. um, it's really cute to think that the first time we recorded one of these birthday episodes, I was turning 23. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I was wow. 20, I was 22 going on 23 uh, three when we started. So it's very cute. It's a different that? world. Yeah. Uh, what are you doing? I mean, you just said you're done with the, the bar and everything, but generally, what else? What's new? What are you doing? <sighs> um. Well, now as I wait for the test results to determine whether or not my life remains on the path that I've been working on for the past 20 years, um, I am going to wait but try to not think about that um mm-hmm. probably won't find out till october so in the meantime my mother and i are going to um europe in august and oh, great. i told her that i was gonna be on <laughs> a podcast that i was gonna do a podcast with you and she did not really understand the concept she goes when can i where can I watch it? We're doing it tomorrow <laughs> night. So like, what time are you doing it? I said, no, it's not like a live. You don't get a live stream watch our conversation. Um, but yeah, we're going to Europe. And then I start my job in September, which is really what are you doing? strange. So I'm working for um, the state's Department of Justice. And I will be um, working as an attorney for the, for child welfare. So anytime you, um, understandably, anytime you take a child from their parents, you have to uh, prove to a court that there's a reason why you did that. Um, So I will be the person proving it to the judge that we aren't just taking people's children for fun magical um you know i was thinking a little bit about the amount of time that's passed like since we started doing this little tradition and how um you were still like pretty new to law school when we uh I think you know I, first yeah, I had just started 
Yeah, you had just started, I think, because of the way the timing worked out. And uh, then, you know, you were, like, doing really well at first. And last year, you're like, oh, not so well anymore. And now you've taken the bar, just like Kim. Um, and it kind of begs the question, why do you think we're still friends all these years later? Um, I think we have a... Well, I think... I feel like I've maybe said this before. I think we are trauma-bonded. That's right. You did say that before. I listened to that episode yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we also have um, a deeper birthday connection. A deeper birthday connection is one of the main reasons that we're friends, huh? I think so. I don't know why we haven't started inviting other people that have the same birthday. Did you know Arnold Schwarzenegger? Arnold Schwarzenegger does. Um, um, one of my favorite singers, Kate Bush, does as well. Like running up that hill, Kate Bush? <laughs> I knew you'd say that, yeah. <laughs> what? Oh my god, Kate yeah. birthday is Kate Bush. I had just performed a lip sync of hers in uh, Nagoya like a few months before she became like mainstream for the first time. Because no one knew what I was talking right, about course. when I used to bring her up. And I did like an episode about her back in January where I was talking about these uh, songs where she's like fucking a computer and like... Um, making out with Hitler and then find <laughs> like finding out it's Hitler. Hey, and, Bush? Um, yeah, she has a song. I highly recommend it. <laughs> it's, it's called Heads Were Dancing, and it's about a strapping young German man who takes her by the waist and makes out with her at a party, and then the next day she sees the newspaper and realizes it was Hitler. <laughs> what a send. Oh, my God. Terry yeah. Crews. Oh, great. We have lots of bodybuilders on our birthday. Lisa Kudrow. I didn't know that one. <gasps> Are you kidding? No. I love her. Phoebe? Mm-hmm. No, as Valerie Cherish oh. in The Comeback. I'll say that. Which you gotta watch. You'd love it. Oh, Henry Ford. Is that the guy who founded I Ford? I think so. He was born in 1800, so. Wasn't there also a president named Ford? Correct. Okay. I don't remember its first name, though. No. <laughs> Should <laughs> Um, but no, I, I just, um, you know, I think that even when, you know, time and distance kind of drives you further apart, I think it's a beautiful thing just to get back in touch once in a while and just, you know, be in the company of people you've shared time with previously. Uh, I have, you know, so many fond little memories of our uh, year in student government, as we've brought up numerous times before, but uh, being vice presidents together for our student government... Um, hiking together in Sisters when I went back home that yeah, summer. I remember. That was a tough hike. <laughs> that was a real hike. We climbed a mountain. And then I had service on yeah. top of the mountain. So I know. We took pictures. And like, we, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think about that a lot. Um, because that was one of the like last like big That's things right. I did before it I left for Japan. before it, you left. Because then I came and saw... Um, Fred? Yeah, who died. Yeah, Fred passed away. My sweet Fred, a uh, cat of uh, 19 years. Who I, my soul cat, honestly. I loved her very much. She slept um, next to my head or on my lap for uh, 14 years of my life, I think. So, yeah, it was, it was, uh, I knew when I left for yeah. Japan that I wouldn't see her again. But... Um, Oh, the passage of time. So we talked about this a little bit on the Patreon-only episode, but um, what have you kind of learned this year, Natalie? What have you taken out of uh, your year uh, 26? 
Um, I, well, one thing was learning how <laughs> shitty it was to not be on my parents' health insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh-huh. that's something that happens when in the United States when you turn 26 is you magically are supposed to be an adult at that point, I guess, and get your own mm-hmm. fucking health insurance. Um, that has been a fun thing to learn about. Other than that, I mean, I feel like I've learned a lot during this year. Um, I think the main thing that I've learned is that as someone who <laughs> I've been so I've been in therapy and mm-hmm. I've learned a lot about how like especially people who have like ADD or ADHD when they essentially like it's really easy to like fall in love really fast mm-hmm. you just get so attached to someone and it just becomes like this like you think like oh yeah this is it forever perfect like this is perfect it's gonna stay like this forever um and then you move in with that person and then it turns out that they're a psychopath narcissist uh so my mom told me this after the fact but wait like a year before like genuinely moving in with someone because when you move in with someone it's really hard to break up with them yeah i i definitely feel that um i i've definitely experienced a lot with um like the concept of love and affection and i think you know adhd is a part of that for you but also i think both of us is just like leos are Mm -hmm. very quick to attach like i have like grand sweeping ideas about like my future and the potentiality in uh love and affection and the fantasy is always never quite as uh it's not the same as what actually happens. Yeah. I'm some, you know, I'm learning how to be real in that way and kind of um, balance like my ideal, like fantasy world that I spend half my time daydreaming in mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, actually like tending to a relationship. It's very difficult. And I'm like realizing that I actually like don't really know much about like dating love or affection and i had it really easy with my uh ex-boyfriend who just let me steamroll him all the time and uh now i can't really do that yeah. so <laughs> like i read i knew nothing is, is basically what i learned from my last year on earth that's fair you know one thing i'm trying to work on too is that not everything like not everything needs to be productive like something's productivity does not equate its worth okay um i mean i say that i don't i don't practice it of course um Mm -hmm. but i've been trying to tell myself that but i think um well i did read a book that i loved called all about love by bell hooks you read a bell hooks book this year that's so funny it was actually so sad because i was reading it and then they died and i was like wait did i kill bell hooks you killed Bell Hooks <laughs> with your own hands. That's really sad. <laughs> um, but it's a really good book. And it really, like, kind of blew my mind. It talks a lot about how um, 
like as we are for a lot of heterosexual men when they grow up like their relationship with women is their relationship with their mother and a mother's relationship with their child is very subser like subservient like i'm you give up your life for your child like you literally cook them every meal you do everything for them and so then when men start to enter the dating world that's what they expect because mm -hmm. that is the relationship that they've had with a woman and that's what they expect additional relationships will be with with women so it's very transactional and it's expected to be this again kind of this like servant relationship um and then that also reminds me so this is another huge thing this past year I've, most of what i've learned has been from tiktok uh oh no <laughs> i can't stop i'm addicted and i know it's china like whatever just taking all my yeah data. china's doing its brain programming on you well and so i'm like okay cool they know that i like dogs and i have mental health problems like okay china what does my tiktok even show up with i don't even know except it's probably gonna be asian bodybuilders the except i did learn that i guess they're also kind of maybe like hack into your phone and stuff so it could be worse uh than just like knowing what i think is funny on tiktok but uh-huh um this guy read this statement which i just sent to quinny because she is going through a breakup one moment oh is she kind of oh, yeah. i didn't i didn't hear that part of it um that is why she didn't part of why she didn't join us today. Uh -huh. um, okay. It's a quote from Marilyn Fry. I don't know who that is. Do you know who that is? Not at all. Okay. Well, they have a lot to say and it sounds pretty good. It says to say that straight men are heterosexuals is only to say that they engage in sex with women. All or almost all of that, which pertains to love, most straight men reserve exclusively for other men. The people they admire, respect, adore, revere, honor, whom they imitate, idolize, and form profound attachments to, whom they are willing to teach, and from who they are willing to learn, and whose respect, admiration, recognition, honor, reverence, and love they desire. Those are overwhelmingly other men. In their relationships with women, what passes for respect is kindness, generosity, or paternalism. What passes for honor is removal to the pedestal. From women, they want devotion, service, and sex. Heterosexual mm -hmm. male culture is homoerotic. It is man-loving. Yeah, I mean, um, I've talked about this a lot. Uh, it, it's really funny to bring this up to you because it's like a bizarre internet, like, alt-right subculture. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a very popular... <laughs> and it's like, we're like friends from student government in Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> I like talk. But like, there is um, a, a book by uh, an internet personality called Bronze Age Pervert. And like, he writes a lot about that kind of concept. And uh, I mean, you've now, at least temporarily, abandoned the, the world of the heterosexual male. And... Uh, yeah. Which is actually yeah. like, I love... Because I was going to ask you, like, what do you think, like what do you think how do you think heterosexual men should you know behave with women like what's your I just don't aspirations think they should. for them i don't we should, I, we should just lock them in other correct. other rooms okay I, at I'm this so point this. i've i just i mean i don't think it's the, their fault 
it's just society. And I think we uh-huh. just need to, yeah, send them to Mars. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus or whatever. Um, but like they're trying to go there anyway. Just go. It's fine. Uh-huh. Boys go to Jupiter to get more stupid. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, I yeah have also you know been thinking a lot about masculinity, um, especially like over the course of the last year on the podcast, and I think that for me, I definitely do find that there is kind of um uh, a little bit of a cultural and spiritual weakness in straight men, um, and I do kind of long for like the um more assured and confident kind of a leader. And I I think the way like men are currently shaping out to be is like kind of like these uh, pushover, emotionally demanding, like celery babies who can't really do anything for themselves and then export all of their, you know, emotional needs and and poor methods. You know, I, I wish that there was a little bit more assurance in masculinity than there used to be well and it's funny because a really horrific person named josh Hawley would agree with you do you know who that is he's essentially uh, like our wannabe hitler baby in um that sounds like fun josh Hawley. yeah okay he's not bad looking but he is uh i think yeah he i mean he's a horrible human being because he acts like I don't know. He's like super into like the intense far right. And he's currently writing a book or has written a book about masculinity uh-huh. um, and how men are babies now. Yeah, I, I think it, you know, he's probably, a, you know, a little bit right about it. I think, you know, it's a detriment to everyone on all sides of the political, um, you know, leanings that men are, you know, misbehaved in the way that they are. I, I think there would be um if people had like more respect for you know deliberate gender roles and that including people who are like less uh decipherable as male or female or whatever i think if there was just like more archetypal like attention and, and interest in all genders i think that would be productive for everyone i am so i know earlier too we were talking about um shitting on a little bit on gen z because Uh they're different from millennials and i still don't totally under and i also think like generation to generation if your generations are next to each other like you're gonna have conflict do you consider yourself a millennial oh yeah i forgot yeah i like kind of we're we're on the cusp yeah yeah but like if i look at the characteristics of gen z i don't I would never call myself a Gen Zer. Like I, like I've mm-hmm. learned from Gen Z that only millennials wear skinny jeans, and they told me this while I was wearing skinny jeans. And then I walked around campus at a university and realized I was the only person wearing skinny jeans. And I said, I mean, oh. skinny jeans are great. They're hot. They make you look good. Like they're, I, I don't know, like that kind of like baggy. We, we were talking a little bit about this on the Patreon, but that that like baggy grocery store like fluttering bag look ugh, and with the dyed hair and the fingernails and they're just like the the bags under the eyes it's like post heroin chic in the worst way ever i hate it the one thing that gen z really does have going for them though is their 
like at least in I mean sure it's not in all states obviously that we've seen like fucking don't say gay bills in Florida and attacking trans kids on a lot of uh, super conservative states but in places like Portland Oregon I have cousins that are growing up I'm I think out of six cousins that I have two are trans or at least go are non-binary they're exploring their pronouns and the other and then two are um queer in some aspect that's crazy like and they're all in middle school oh my god Uh uh-huh so that's nuts i know and so i think like (laughs) it's gonna i always like i always hear about this stuff like on the internet and like from people like freaking out and being like they're trying to brainwash our kids into being gay and trans they're grooming you know all of this stuff i mean it's hard for me to like visualize because I'm like not, you know, yeah. home in America. So I, when I hear this kind of stuff, I'm like a little like, oh, fuck. Like, wow, that's crazy. And so it's like, I think it's going to be even. It's I'm really in, I mean, the future is, I mean, you know, if there is one because the planet's about to like kick us out, which like fair. Um, <laughs> but. Ugh. Which also, this is another thing. Sorry, with my brain, I can't. No, it's fine. We're just talking. I go on so this, many this episode has, tangents. We're just here. Time. It's fine. But I have a really important thing I want to talk about after I finish talking about all of my cousins is the <laughs> James Webb fucking telescope. Oh, is that the thing where they like, photographed the universe recently? Correct, yeah. Okay, I saw that. Um. Well, so last thing about the Gen Zers is that I think in terms of like, acknowledging exploring understanding gender fluidity and sexual identity fluidity like they have such a leg up in some places but i think it's going to be really interesting when that kind of when you've grown up your entire life pretty much being told like you can truly be whoever you want to be and then meeting people who absolutely do not think that and have not been raised that way. It's like, I always thought when I was little that like, mm-hmm. I can't wait for all the racists to die. And then I uh-huh. have realized that they make more. They they have, the racists have babies and then they raise racist babies. There is a book called Anti-Racist Baby. I'm sure you're aware. Yeah, I've I've talked about it on the <laughs> podcast, actually. Great book. Haven't read it, but I'm sure it's great. <laughs> I have read some Ibram X. Kendi. Um, I did. I did. I did an episode because I, I realized that, like, Anti-Racist Baby is, like, a psyop. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, like, it's not real. It's, like, um... It's, like, not, like, really actually a book. It's, like, um... It's, like, a marketing scheme. But, um... <laughs> I mean, what you're saying about, like, you know, these people who haven't encountered, like, any, like, pushback or anything, I think it's, like, healthy and good to receive a little bit of adversity. And, I mean, a lot of, like, the gender and sexuality stuff I find to be a little depressing because, like, Gen Zers, like, don't fuck. Like, they're really morbidly asexual and they um, hate all depictions of sexuality and culture and 
are like constantly like canceling and getting into like little tiffs about like grooming and stuff and so it's like okay like that's great that like you have your gender identity and this like um previously unheard of sexuality but like what are you using it for it seems that like a lot of people just kind of um put their uh gender markers and stuff there as like a way to differentiate themselves and i wish that yeah. um like in the face of the internet when literally everyone on earth is like screaming into the same pool and like creating this uh liquid voice uh and can't like really extract themselves from the other i i wish that they could like evoke some like deeper passion in order to you know make themselves individual i mean like we do um, have the greta the greta thunbergs out there we got we got her so there are some i think that there are some what, what am i doing um i am sticking up for gen z i don't know why but i am no, I mean, I I have, you know, some, you know, I, I do have some opti- optimism in them. I do have to say, I've become much more conservative since I, like, moved to Japan. And, like, I still believe in, like, a lot of things. But, um, and especially lately, I don't know. I think I've, like, I've kind of, uh, like, divorced myself from politics as everything. is just, like, depressing me. And, like, in this last year, I, one of the things I really realized is that actually, like, I don't, like, you know, care about getting into these fights with people anymore. And I just, like, want to approach everyone on a one-to-one like basis and if they say something i disagree with then like we can talk about it there but i think everything in america has just been so conflated into the macrocosm where you know you're never one thing you're a symbol for all things it's a very frightening breakdown of the representation i think yeah it's really kind of it's kind of shit over here um it's bad. Yeah. Things are bad. Um, like, 10-year-olds are getting abortions. What? Have you not heard? Well, so Roe v. Wade. Was Where did that come from? <laughs> um, Roe v. Wade was overturned. And, I mean, that's just, like, what was in the news today is that the there's she couldn't get an abortion in Ohio because she her life wasn't threatened. Um, I'm, I'm Google searching 10 year old pregnant girl oh right God, now. Yeah. Well, you probably found a few. You should put 10 year old. Um... Oh, 10 year old pregnant girl in Ohio. Yeah. But the doctor that performed the abortion in Indiana is like the literal state attorney general is like personally going after her. Like, I don't know what girl. that means, but, like, that would be scary. Like, the person in charge of the laws in your state. Wait, they're, like, going like... after, like, the pregnant 10-year-old? No, after the uh, person. Oh, after the doctor. Okay. Took the tissue. Uh-huh. Did the abortion. Right. Out of the human that. I mean, I, that's just, you know, horrible to have be, like, 10 years old and pregnant. Good Lord. Correct. I mean, it's a freak show and just a uh, maximalist, like, a uh, chaos-spinning, um... One other question I wanted to ask that I was thinking a little bit about is, um, like, how do you feel about getting older, like, this year? Last year, I was not feeling very excited about 25, but now that I'm going to my other half of my 20s, um, I don't know, I'm feeling a little better about it. I'm, like, excited to get older and, uh, you know, feel, like, a little bit more secure and, like, less unstable. I'm hoping, like, my sex drive goes down in the next few years. Um, But, like, how are you feeling about approaching like your next circuit 27 is like one of those in-between years 
You know, like 26 mm-hmm. was like, whoa, I've passed the halfway mark. And I feel like 28 is going to be like, holy shit, I'm almost 30. But 27 just kind of feels like 17. Like, what's 17? Nothing. Yeah. 18. Totally. Whoa, I could buy a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, not anymore, actually. They changed the laws, but I could back then. Um, yeah, I could. I bought. I I could get cigarettes when I was eighteen. That was that was wonderful. But it's over now. Yeah. Um, but I think more and more, what I try to tell myself is, um, yes, everything is horrible. Um, really bad. Like almost. It's like every time you're like, it couldn't get worse, right? It does. Um. But then I look at the images of the James Webb telescope (laughs) and I remind myself that I'm on a fucking rock that is spinning around in in space. And it isn't, I mean, I can't even, we are so insignificant. But see, I kind of have like the opposite feeling almost like, I think it's such a miracle that, like, we are on that, like, lonely little rock, right? Like, we're completely, like, drawn out in this, the middle of this void, and this, like, little piece of rock managed to, like, grow sentient life on top of it that can um, contemplate itself and have, like, a public conscious, like, history from thousands of years. And um, I think it's, like, kind of exciting to be a part of... uh, you know, the universe, like, every little fleck of matter is, like, all expanding and pushing out in this, uh, rush forward, and it's such a, a gift and so powerful to get to, like, uh, be a part of that with everyone, and I, I just, like, want to keep, um, you know, feeling excited about that, you know, and so people, I I think I, I feel the same way, like, yeah, like, we're, like, you know, tiny little traces of (laughs) invisible matter when, in the big picture, but, in the same way, like, we're, like, one of those, like, little specks that's shooting forward to expand the universe into wherever it ends up going. Yeah, that was deep. I think... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, it reminds me of, I was listening to, I think it was, like, Radio Lab or This American Life or something, and they were talking uh-huh. about, you know, is there life out there? And that if there isn't, how fucking sad is it that, like, something as incredible as, like, a polar bear, like, that it's just going to be the, when the last one dies, that was the last polar bear that will ever be, and there's nothing else in the entire universe that, I don't know, that could even ever compare. Yeah, I mean, like... Um, the cosmos is like kind of cruel because inevitably everything on the little earth orb is gonna go away. Like, um, even if humans can, you know, leave earth and, uh, colonize the universe or whatever, I, I find it a little doubtful, but even in that case, like there's a a time limit on all of this. Like eventually the universe is gonna go up in heat death and we're all gonna die. Like, but maybe it's not so that it's like cruel, um, you know, maybe it, it's uh, just more like a, a flash of miracle that it got to be there at all. And, you know, we're both here talking across an entire ocean 
um, as, like, our computers are summoning digits to represent ourselves and then, like, sending it through the air and so that I can see an image of your face and recognize it as you. I mean, isn't that nuts? I, I, I think it's beautiful. Sometimes it, like, hurts my brain to think about that because all of that has happened in the last, like, couple years. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, both of our generations, like, didn't really have the internet the whole time we were growing up at all. And that's why I don't really consider myself to be a Zoomer. Right. Like, I have memories of not having the internet and, like, having, like, dial-up and, like, AOL, like, oh, screaming. Oh, my God, yeah. And I had, yeah. I had a flip phone. Do you, oh, I had a flip phone. I had a razor. Oh, I had a red razor. Because AIDS. <sighs> <laughs> because AIDS. Did you, um... Do you remember 9-11? Yes. I do as well. That's another thing that I think kind it's of like draws the line. Yeah. 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 I agree. I'm really glad that I had I got to like grow up a little bit without the internet and now I'm very glad to have it, even though it is kind of a a horrifying vortex or whatever. But um, you know, I feel like I spend especially now with like screen time telling me how much time I'm on my phone. Mm-hmm. It's like no wonder people got so much done and were, like, writing treatises and constitutions or whatever in the 1800s. They didn't have anything else to do. Nothing else to do. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Instead of just constantly chatting. Like, we're just always, like, chit-chatting and, like, thinking about ourselves and everything. I mean, it's, like, what the podcast is doing as well. But, um, yeah, you know, I th- I'm feeling excited about my next year on Earth. Um, I'm... I'm quite happy to be here on this planet. And, like, I guess, like, the last few weeks I've, like, been a little miserable and pessimistic. But, um, you know, personal dramas, like, getting in fights, uh, arguing, feeling pain, feeling, like, dejection and disappointment. That's uh, life, baby. It's being it's alive. Life. But pain is beautiful, too. And having the chance to experience all of it is uh, just wonderful. Why don't we take a, a, a quick break? Do you have a final word? I guess the one thing as you're saying that, I feel like with what I am thinking of with this next year is actually kind of a very strange, and maybe this is part of the reason why I'm so pessimistic right now. I mean, I'm going through such a huge transition mm. in terms of I just finished school. For the first like, time. For, for real. Like, you're really done like, now. Like, actually done. I will never go back to school. I have a professional degree. And now I have to, like, work? I... Oh, yeah. Um, This is the... This past year has been the first time I've ever, like, worked a corporate job. Like, everything else I've ever done has been, like, you know, a job, but not the same. And it is very strange. What's other thing? Like, if you know if this life in our existence is so unique and incredible and beautiful, it's like, why do I feel like it's so wasted? I think it's wasted, too. But the only way to sort of deal with that is to push back as much as you can. And in the time that you do have, like, you have to. Yes. Like, she resisted. She persisted. Oh, and I thought resisted. you were talking about like Xi Jinping. Like she, like. No, I just like I'm referring to like the ephemeral, like but... subconscious she of okay, the universe. You know? <laughs> like, but we all we all just have to like you know push with all of our. It's easy to like want to just you know sit back and look at your phone and like you know be private and 
do you remember this? We talked about this on the first time we ever talked, the idea of introverts, right? <laughs> yeah. It's easy to, like, submit to the introvert idea, but you have to go be passionate and chase everything with uh, every moment you have, which is uh, very challenging in this day and age. But if you want to make make it worth it and not just, you know, go down in history as a bunch of, you know, key clicks for a job on a computer, <sighs> then, you know, off you go. Got to make it work. Ta-ta for now. Let's take a quick break. I gotta have to pee. <laughs> okay, I want to pee too. I want to have a cigarette. So let's come back in just a sec. film and a fantastic novel and I have a lot of emotional closeness to this because um, as I've mentioned on the podcast with Natalie multiple times over we were vice presidents together in a cutthroat uh, student government we went through um, a really insane election cycle and I remember relying on Reese Witherspoon's wonderful monologue from the film uh, where she is just screaming and degrading all those with power who think that popularity is the only merit that uh, affords them anything. And I felt a lot of uh, sympathy with that character at the time. Um, but Natalie, how, how, how did you ever find out about election? What's your story with it? Um, I was required to engage with it um to be involved with this podcast <laughs> so that was your you said rewatch, but it was your first time watching it I think I did I say I didn't I don't think I meant to I can't remember like it seemed familiar but I feel like these days every time I see something I'm like I've seen that before right yeah. but it's like no no I haven't okay. so um I think it was my first genuine time watching it and um you know throughout the whole thing I was thinking about our election and the similarities, but also the differences. I mean, high school is just such a different world. Mm -hmm. And I think I just, I don't know. I don't know if I was just like different in high school, but I just don't feel like anyone that I knew was as confident as Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. So the, the kind of Which is weird because like she wasn't like a cool popular girl. No. She's confident to a whole new level. Yeah. Well just to summarize the plot of the film basically, it 
follows um, Matthew Broderick as uh, Mr. McAllister, a sort of a big egoed uh, social studies teacher who is down on his luck after uh, a series of romantic failures with his wife. Uh, He ends up cheating on her and he becomes extremely vindictive and personally hateful of a lot of his students, and it climaxes in him um, tampering with a student body election. Uh, He deliberately wants to ruin the chances of uh, Reese Witherspoon as the eternal Tracy Flick, who is a uh, bubbling, charismatic, uh, so saccharine and sickly sweet that you kind of uh, are almost like told by the movie to hate her uh she is so Mm -hmm. cutthroat that you imagine that she is about to become like some like margaret thatcher figure because like she's so Mm -hmm. evil and insistent on her own success uh he pits a popular high school football player against her and convinces him to run his sister uh also (laughs) runs and the entire uh portrait of this election and these people's interlocking personal lives is just a really incredible uh, diorama and small-scale distillation of, of the human spirit. I, like, just love the way these characters are written. They all hate each other, like, so truthfully, and it feels, like, really eternally true. Like, it doesn't really feel like high school. It feels like kind of a, a Greek drama and how uh, defined yeah. these characters are. I think, um, I mean, especially with Well, the actually, the one thing that I feel like I could not, it made me sad, but I could not believe was, it felt, did not feel real, was um, sweet, what, Paul? Oh, the <laughs> football say? guy, Paul, yeah. Football player. And I think this goes back to our discussions earlier about just heterosexual men in general. He seemed like one of the good ones. Like, he was so sweet always thinking the best intentions of everyone you know yes maybe there was a lot of the like dumb jock stereotype in there but it was more than that because like if you're the coolest most popular guy in school like you can be an asshole but he was just nice and just like wanted to like you know everyone should win on his book paul metzler is honestly like the answer to like our question about like masculinity earlier like to kind of just be like a dumb charismatic sexy golden retriever um yeah it's just like hot and affable and um is good intentioned and totally stands on his own uh two feet i just like love uh i really love like that kind of uh character and when it is ultimately revealed that he loses the election. There's that great scene at the end where he's like reflecting on his last year in high school. And he's like, Oh, I always kind of wonder what would have happened if I had won, but then I wouldn't have got to go to Yosemite with Mike and Sam. He's like, he has like that kind of like lust for life that I feel is like so sweet and missing. um, In a lot of like today's men, like they just like want to be like emotional, like, suckles on the world and are like turning into like these like weak willed like kind of loser brats basically but if everyone could be as confident and charming as him what a world we would have be a different world um did you know that uh, at least according to alexander payne that um 
election is President Barack Obama's favorite political film. That's really funny because he reminds me of like Tracy Fleck. Yeah, of course. Um, it's really interesting. I think that this movie had like kind of a, a pretty outsized uh, cultural impact. It was kind of a cult, like runaway. Uh, it was distributed by MTV Films at the time, which I yeah, I noticed that at the beginning. I know, I love that. I think it's cute that like this was like kind of a. I, I find this to be like really cerebral and actually like very uh like psychoanalytically intense. Like it gives all of the characters like these uh monologues and on top of the scene yeah. narration, and I I feel like it's a uh, really really quite like breathtaking for its uh, psychology. You know, something that really kind of, though, made me sad, and I don't know if that's, like, am I identifying with Tracy Flick? Do I just want to hear more from her? But um, everyone got their ending monologue, but not Tracy. No, yeah, because she got, she only got, um, they kind of make a butt make her the butt of the joke at the end when she uh, gets everything she wants and goes to college and um, she uh, is like whining about how everyone is still like a spoiled brat and she's like the only one like working hard and she's like telling everyone around her to be quiet. Um, I definitely actually think that Tracy is a heroine and I completely believe in her and her journey and I deeply relate with her. How did you feel about, like, the very last... Like, do you think she was fucking that congressman? Like, was that insinuated when she got into... He was a Republican, too, which That's I right. was interesting. Um, one of my favorite movies, uh, Shin Godzilla, does this as well, where it, like, constantly is, like, putting people's, like, titles and, like, uh, on-screen, like, text over. And so the movie, like, feels, like, extremely, like, rich because there's, like, all of this, like, information flying at you all the time. And I, I love that detail that, like, she's, like, with the Republican guy. Um... One of the plot details is that she had previously fucked her math teacher in a uh, pretty right. protracted affair. So I can definitely see what, how that could be implied. But I really think she's just succeeding. And, like, she has, like, some, like, DC internship that, like, all of our friends did after, uh, you know, ASUO, where they all, like, went to go work and, like, including you. Like, you didn't go to DC, but, like, you worked <laughs> in, like, a senator's office, right? Correct. Yes, I did. So I, I feel like that she's just on that path. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think that she, cause she, did she go to like Georgetown too? Yeah, she like to Georgetown. that's very much just like kind of, you know, it's little pipeline of its own, I guess. Um, but I don't know. I just thought like I wanted to hear more from her. I don't know, maybe, you know, kind of like a legally blonde moment at the end where she gets to like throw her little law school hat in the air and uh, which also they you don't do that in law school by the way but it's fine <laughs> um i don't know i just felt like i wanted her to tell us that she had won as opposed to just like having it be maybe insinuated yeah, the movie doesn't let um the only character who's allowed to win and this is paul metzler everybody else has a horrible fate assigned to them um his younger sister tammy who is a uh, a really wild little lesbian anarchist, basically. Um, she uh, is, like, sentenced to, like, lesbian death as well, where, like, she, okay. um, after being infatuated with a popular cheerleader and, like, them, like, making out a few times, uh, she becomes, like, really deeply obsessed with her, and she just ends up repeating the cycle at Catholic school with a new girl. 
Um, and then, of course, the worst fate is brought upon right. Mr. McAllister. What, what did you think about, like, his, like, downfall? I was just... <laughs> <laughs> I was sh- shocked to my core at his... Um... The, the voicemails that he was leaving his mistress. Oh, God. Um, in the midst of, I think it was like, no, so it was the day of the election that he was supposed to have the affair. So right? they like, that... they fucked the day before in her house. And then the next day, he's like supposed to like meet her at a motel and she doesn't show up. Uh, and then like, he goes home and finds that she's told um, Mr. McAllister's <laughs> wife. And then he spends like the entire next day just like calling her on the school payphone. Yeah. And saying like, I love you. <laughs> I know. I was shocked by that too. It felt really nasty and depressing. It did. It was really sad. And the most iconic yeah, like visual image of this is that he has his eye swollen shut by a bee sting. <laughs> so he looks like a fucking like monster during like the yeah. whole sequence but like i mean what do you think it kind of like means like to see this like character who is like you know seemingly well to do but is in fact quite malicious like what do you think his uh fall from grace like means here i think like for me at least it was and i feel like uh, i mean obviously everyone's going to kind of see their own thing into it but something i think about a lot is so my stepmom is a middle school teacher mm-hmm. and it is I just remember being in middle school and high school and it never occurred to me that my teachers had anything, any existence outside of school. Right. Like they probably lived in their classrooms. Like why would they leave like their <laughs> teachers? Right. Um, and so to see him like give a pop quiz and then go and run errands to, you know, get champagne and flowers for this, um, what was supposed to be a fun little motel meetup <laughs> between him and his mistress was just, I mean, I think probably my jaw was on the ground thinking about you just left a classroom full of children. Like you created a quiz so you could like the intersection of like a teacher's reality with the classroom in such an intense way was, I mean, and you were a teacher mm-hmm. Did you ever give a pop quiz so you could go no. and... I mean... Okay. <laughs> I... Never to that extent, but, like, I think that what election gets really right about, like, the educational system is that it is kind of this, like, holding chamber for, um, like, the the pubescent, like, sexuality of, like, youths and uh, their chaperones, basically, interacting with them and making sure that, like, it's all being overseen, um... Foucault has this great passage in the history of sexuality where he's like describing the architecture of school as like being like uh, entirely designed to like separate the genders and like keep them from like decaying into uncivilized like prehistoric like fuck mode basically um and that in doing that it makes like the school itself like a sexual institution and you can just like feel in this movie like so many different nasty layers of these people's like erotic drives like bleeding into one another and it is extremely uncomfortable i mean one of the very first scenes in the entire movie is this math teacher (gasps) oh yeah that shook me to my core 
like one of his first lines is like yeah the, it's the freeze frame. initial teachers because they yeah. it stops in Tracy's face as she's like uh you know Mr. McAllister is describing how much of a cunt she is basically for being this right. uh, aspirational go-getter and he says, and there's one thing you have to know about Tracy. And it cuts to her math teacher's face in this morbid close-up. And he says, her pussy gets so wet, you wouldn't believe it. That was... It's shocking. It was shocking. Yeah. yeah. I think I what I think was even more viscerally shocking um, was Tracy's... I don't even know if like maturity is the right word. Maybe her complete lack of emotion mm-hmm. when discussing after or right around the election um, that that he essentially that this math teacher and she's like what sixteen seventeen. Um, that if only her math teacher could have, you know, kept his shit together and not got feelings for her, then maybe things would have been fine. Yeah. Um, this Reese Witherspoon performance is out of this world. She is so, like, fully committed into the role that she's like a brick wall. And you kind of, like, tremble, like, watching her just, like, steamroll the universe. Like, there is this... The, the scene you're talking about is basically when... After a temper tantrum, she tears down all of the posters in the school, like rips up her hands. So there's like bleeding paper cuts all over. I was that paper cut. I was that was the question I had. Paper cuts or was that just red paint? I it definitely paper cuts. Okay, it, <laughs> that's more. And I was like, oh god, it's so grisly. But then like he, Mr. McAllister is confronting Tracy because he's certain she did it. Um, and she is because who else would? She is of course, you know, not letting um not letting him uh, get away with it. And he starts like vaguely accusing her and she looks him like straight in the eye with like this fucking brick face. And she's like, well, maybe if some people hadn't gotten so mushy, we all could have kept enjoying things. And I just love that. Like the movie like refuses to like paint her as like this, like tragic, like, you know, me too victim. And instead she's just an asteroid, like hurtling through the universe. Well, and I think, I mean, it's, (laughs) It is so wild to me too, because like, yeah, the way they, um, it almost seems like the, uh, what's the word? Um, the power dynamics of that. I can't even, I mean, I, it seemed at least from her perspective, consensual, but obviously it was statutory rape because she was, I mean, I don't think she's 18. At, no. In, uh, no. Um, so technically, legally, she's not old enough to consent to sex with someone that old. However, she, when you think of the power dynamics of that relationship, like, she, it doesn't seem like her math teacher is the one holding the power. No, this is something that, like, um, Nabokov writes a lot about in, like, Laughter in the Dark and Lolita is that even, like, in these, like, moments of, like, statutory, like, rape and what have you, um, there is, like, a definite, like, power differential. And, of course, like, you know, the men are, like, behaving like inappropriately or blah, blah, blah. But, like, also, like, the women in, in some of these, like, relationships, like, are also these little idols of power that can be, 
deeply when when they're you know assurant of themselves and like confident in their sexual identity they can become like these idols of power that have total fascist enacting control over the men who uh covet them and uh Camille Paglia who I love dearly writes a lot about that and like the idea of the Amazonian woman and like there's nothing like less powerful for a woman than to like victimize yourself and instead it's to like to weaponize men's sexual interest in you and turn it into a video game controller to wreck their lives with well I think too like another just like putting the the film itself into its own era coming out in 99 Mm -hmm. like the whole Clinton Lewinsky scandal really topped out in 98 Mm -hmm. so and I mean and I I don't even I can't even imagine um and we've come so far it's a very different world it is such a different You could never world. make this movie today. No. No, absolutely not. They say faggot too much. <laughs> I didn't notice. Wow, I feel bad now. No, I, I think there was like two or three. I was like, oh, damn. They say dyke as well. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it's <laughs> funny because uh, I loved the novel um, that this is based off. And Tom Perota is a novelist I really liked when I was like in high school and stuff. Um, like The Leftovers and... Um, little children as well. I like his kind of like poisonous suburban uh, setting that he often relies on. And in the novel, uh, Tracy is definitely like aware of like her power in the relationship, but she's also really disgusted with him. And basically there's this really visceral, nasty scene uh, when they first have sex and uh, they both realize that like their bodies are not as uh, beautiful as they had both fantasized one another to be and uh there's this wretched paragraph where she's like describing a huge pimple on his loose ass and like that's the Um, moment when she's like oh he's too mushy for me i gotta get out of this so it's incredible i know it is incredible i mean i wish everyone was more like tracy and more like paul at the same time like i think right i know i think you got it exactly right when you like criticized it for like not letting tracy get a final word in because I think the movie does kind of paint her to be evil. Oh, yeah. Well, and I'm trying to think, too, like, it's not like we were loving, you know, and it's not like we even do today, but, like, really strong women characters in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think there was anything about Tracy that you're supposed to, like, which is so funny because I have the exact opposite reaction. Right. I love her. Like, I, when she gives that monologue, and she's yeah. talking about how nobody works hard for anything. Nobody believes yeah. in themselves. Nobody applies themselves. And they march in and expect handouts. It's a kind of, like, reactionary almost. Like, mm-hmm. I love, like, her kind of, like, Hillary Clinton, like, yeah. death drive like she will ruin everything so that she can yes. get what she deserves and what others don't and she's right i feel like her i want to crush everyone in my way until i get what i deserve no 100 percent. i think um and there's really no one better than for some reason reese witherspoon to 
to to be that I mean I think that she just there's something about her that is so she just is incredible I watched this with the Japanese <laughs> subtitles and the title of the movie is like high school election beware of the honor roll girl <laughs> no and I was like I love that like beware like she's beware. so powerful no I mean what a what a glistening icon honestly I think the one thing where I felt really felt for Tracy though was um, after she uh-huh. quote unquote lost her mother. I feel like mother daughter relationships are very unique, always. Yeah. But the relationship that she has with her mother is. I mean, just kind of horrific mm-hmm. um, to lose something that, you know, like her mom knew how hard she'd been working and how much she wanted this. And, you know, she did <laughs> give her a little hug and a pill to help calm her down, <laughs> uh, which I died at. But uh, she then mom walks out of the room and then pops her head back in. She goes, maybe you just needed more posters. Oh. Or maybe you could have taken those few notes I gave you on your speech. On we'll your figure speech, it out together. I, I was surprised she didn't snap. Well, I don't think it even cuts to her face. Like, it just, like, leaves, like, that yeah. element of horror, like, hanging there. Yeah. Her room is disgusting as well. Like, it's, like, pristine and, like, extremely clean. Um, it looks like looks like a John Waters set. And there's, like, posters being like, you can do it, girl. Be happy. And I'm like, oh, you poor <sighs> thing. She's like such an engineer of like um her own reality it is just like trying to like force her way into success and uh seeing mr McAllister callously take it away from her out of like his own vindication and kind of grudge against the world i mean that stuff does happen to people who the, the world is desperate to silence people who care and try hard mm. then at the same time though i kind of did connect with um Tammy (laughs) well (laughs) yes but with no with at the very end when uh he um Mr. Bradwick throws the soda at the car oh yeah when Mr. McAllister throws the soda at the car and it's Pepsi which I loved because Tracy Flick says oh yeah that whole Coca-Cola is America's number one soda by far and it always keeps cutting to him drinking like pepsi like furiously and when he throws it at the car yeah you can see like his life is ruined at the end of the movie and he's like trying to like paint his like new york life that he has to do after being forced to resign into like this like you know fun thing but he's giving like these like depressing lectures at the history museum um, in front of, like, all of these, like, symbols of mankind's development with, like, the evolution of the monkeys. And so... And why was there, like, the shot the on monkey the monkey cock? So long. I loved like, it. it. Like, it was, like, a 30 second to a minute, just straight. As, like, this tribal music is playing in the background. <laughs> it's because, like, this is, like, what... We were, like, talking a little bit about this, like, with, like, the state of reality right now there's like so much convenience like we're on always on the internet like but at the end of the day like we're just like sexual like primates that have like evolved into a bizarre set of systems 
in this whole movie is about like being trapped in those systems and watching it like decay yourself. So of course, like in a fit of rage, he's gonna throw his soda at uh, Tracy yeah. as she's driving away in the conservative's limo. I I realized I said Mr. Broderick instead of yeah. Mr. <laughs> but um, he, but I will say at the same time I connected with his like hate like his little like his kind of ending scene talking about like how he felt bad for her that she's waking up every day at 5 a.m and which is like it's like I feel like that is my internal struggle is like the person that I imagine or see in my head as someone who is successful which is someone who gets up at you know 5 a.m and goes on a run and then then makes breakfast and starts their day and whatever. Um, as opposed to me wanting to sleep in and say, ha you losers waking up at 5 a.m. Right. Yeah, Cause I mean, the only way that you can like uh, overcome envy over someone like succeeding based off their own, you know, drive forward is to like hate them for it. Yeah. And I, I certainly do. I get like, um, you know, my job is, like, a little competitive at times, and I have, like, people, like, you know, like, criticize me or, like, say things about them, and I, like, begin to, like, concoct, like, hateful fantasies about them and, like, how their lives are so miserable, but it's, like, honestly, they're just, like, working harder than me. (laughs) (laughs) Just, like, actually doing their best and, like... (laughs) And I'm just, like, not not interested. I'm, like, thinking about, like, my book or whatever, like, what dress I'm gonna wear on Friday. (laughs) Um... Another character I wanted to briefly touch on since we've gone through Tammy. I love I love her. Um, she is like this like Nietzschean existential figure who is like um, tries to throw a wrench in the election cycle by saying, "Who cares about this stupid election?" At like the speeches, um, and I just love like this old like '90s like um, riot girl dyke archetype. I think it's so cute. I miss, like, girls like this. Um, I wish there were more of them around now. And I think she, even though, like, her fate is, like, still kind of miserable, I believe Tammy will be a, um, a successful and ecstatic person in the future. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like I see a lot, it's like, and it's, it's that, the kind of rebellious, like, who gives a fuck? character and for her to to run in the election well i mean we know why she runs because the girl she's in love with starts fucking her brother (laughs) (laughs) um and becomes his campaign manager so of course tammy decides to get involved herself because i also think as much as she is telling the school who cares like, she is in this because she really cares. And she doesn't communicate that to her brother. And he is so sad and doesn't understand why. And he just wants to be her friend and wants to be... A, like, in what world is, like... I mean, every big brother-little sister relationship at that age is not, like, this cute, like, I just want to be friends with you. Mm-hmm. It's like, shut up. Go, get out of my room. <laughs> I love that he, like politely knocks on the door and like comes in and then she's, she's like, like don't you knock <laughs> and he's like i did with like a big smile and it's like hey tammy <laughs> it's like 
so cute. I love him. Is this him as a golden retriever? Like that is the perfect explanation. And I think it is really interesting that. I mean, I'm sure part of it is that she probably, especially with how shitty her parents are, um, definitely has a not come out to her family and obviously her brother. And even if I feel like she told her brother, though, he'd be like, cool. Oh, that's great, Tammy. By the way, <laughs> start talking about something else. I love it. <laughs> but I feel like it made me kind of sad for her that she couldn't tell him why. Uh-huh. She was in the election. Yeah. I don't know. I wanted her to stay. Yeah, it is sad. And I think, you know... Fucking my girlfriend. Part of the thing is, like, um, who, anyone who tells you they don't care is lying. Everyone cares. Oh, yeah. And I think the movie understands, and the novel especially understands, that that kind of mindset is, you know, just cope. Everyone cares. And so you have, like, three paths of going about it. Like, feigning disinterest like Tammy mm-hmm. um just embracing the joy of being alive and beautiful like Paul yeah. the journey is the destination yeah or overcoming everything by simply forcing yourself through all misery and pain and total hellscape to get what you want like Tracy and uh, out of those three I definitely feel like most like Tracy although I aspire to be a Paul but I feel like you also have Tammy some t- some t- oh, yeah, because she's an artistic, like, little girl who, like, goes and, like, sits in a field and, like, stares at the power lines and gets emotional. Like, I literally used to go on walks when I was, like, living in the countryside where I would just, like, go and, like, stare at the power lines in the rice fields and be like, the world is all connected, you know? <laughs> so I definitely have all three. And, of course, the other option is to be Mr. McAllister and then just try to ruin people's oh. lives when they when you don't get what you want. <sighs> It's like, I think, though, do you think that the, like, is his character supposed to be disliked? Or, like, are people supposed to be rooting for him? Like, yeah, take it away from him. I think it's both. Um, And especially towards, like, the beginning of the movie, I think you're supposed to kind of root for him and not want Tracy Mm -hmm. to win. Um, you don't really want Paul to win either because, you know, he doesn't really deserve it. Paul didn't vote for himself. Oh, I know. That's another... It's so cute. The reason that Tracy wins by one vote is because she votes for herself. Yeah. Isn't that sweet? But, like, I think in the beginning of the film, you are supposed to empathize with Mr. McAllister, but, like, by the end, uh, you're kind of able to see the lie of his persona. Yeah. And, I mean, he still gets to throw the... He gets his one little act of revenge, even if he looks pathetic while he does it. Oh, his soda, yeah. And those horrible clothes, like, holding his infinite Pepsi. It's just, like, the perfect image of, like, the vindictive, like, contemporary man. I mean, and part of me, too, and is it... Do you think, like, that he felt so... Oh, I think, actually, one of the best callbacks in the entire movie is the janitor. Yes, I don't think he has any lines. I don't know. Does he say anything? No, it's funny because in the the book, it's like they give each character like uh, a few pages of like first person narration and the janitor gets one page and it's when he finds the crumpled notes. But no, he doesn't speak in the movie. Yeah, he sees. um, Which and like, I was kind of surprised by this, too, because Mr. McAllister is 
the teacher who actually cleans up the fridge and like is throwing all these people's leftovers away um, because everyone's just like, it's like, I was like, that's respectable. Like, thank you for like, you know, cleaning up after people, but he doesn't do it good enough. And when he throws that Chinese food and it hits the floor, right as the, I mean, that is what sealed his fate Mm -hmm. that he threw that Chinese food and it hit the floor and the janitor had been to be walking by at the exact same time. If the janitor had not seen it or if he had cleaned it up before the janitor saw, he probably would have thrown that trash away. Yep. And the thing is, is that um, it's really a perfect image because, uh, you know, it appears on the surface that Mr. McAllister is like doing a good deed. Like he's like, you know, cleaning out the food, like you said. But it's only because he wants to put his own food in the fridge. And then, yeah. you know, he makes a fucking mess of it. And it's a really beautiful symbol for the whole film. Like, his uh, feigned uh, empathy and passion for his students is, like, more of a egotistical trip of the narcissist. And you can right. see it exactly when he, like, plops that Chinese food on the ground and it splatters, like, really in, like, gore. It's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, that's so true, because as he talks about himself as a teacher... I was elected teacher of the year three times, a record for the school. And I also thought that he was being, I don't know, like the way to, he was saying like, I help students. And he's like talking to that girl crying and like touching her shoulder. I was already like, I don't like that. (laughs) I don't like that at all. (laughs) Um, So thinking a little bit about our own experience in the student government, I really felt, um, our campaign was absolutely the Tracy campaign um, because like I th- it was unstoppable. <laughs> number one, it was unstoppable. And number two, we had uh, two parties that were made up almost entirely of people who were like on one party had like, I think almost no one in any seats of the ASUO. Is that correct? Yeah. I don't think any. Yeah. No, no, we, we won every seat. It was, I think, one of the biggest wipeouts in an election ever. And the thing that was really funny is that the group that was against us was being funded by a conservative super PAC. T- I mean, Turning Point Turning USA, Point USA which is like which is a flashpoint. Which is still a huge organization that is still doing a lot of horrific work in the States. Yeah, and they had like those three guys and they had them like running around they paid petitioners paid adult canvassers pretending to be students students and i'm like in my head i'm like but is that something that tracy would have done um that's a good question but i think like she would go to any length you know right and she wasn't necessarily ethical when she was conducting her campaign i mean she tore those posters down but like I think what's important is that, like, the campaign we were up against, like, didn't deserve to win. Like, you know, and, that, and yeah. that's why like I felt like her on the bus, like, giving that furious dialogue at the end. And not at the end, in, like, the middle of the movie when she's like, no, it didn't make me upset at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, uh, you know, even though they, they had, you know, what tens of thousands of dollars in campaign funding that one of their moms donated. Yeah. We still won. Yeah. Delicious. Yeah. We got our, we, I mean, really, great. 
That that is honestly one of my little proud accomplishments of my life is beating that fucking campaign. That campaign and the other one was there was so there's three campaigns. One I feel like was kind of like the jock e Paul, but they weren't nice. You know, like they weren't sweet and kind like Paul. Um they were just they they were terrible. Um but the other the third campaign was very much like the anarchist yeah if we win we will just do absolutely nothing and or burn everything to the ground and or just dismantle the whole system i mean they i think a few of their like members have like even said stuff about like in that way and it was like this like you know angry um like multicultural coalition um and it was just like very this is like mean spirited. And I felt a lot of like integrity from our team of three bitchy blondes who just like <laughs> knew what to do, how to get it done, what we wanted to do and what we were going to do to do it. And, um, yeah. you know, here we are. And I, as I said, the last time we talked, uh, <laughs> that did get me my job. Basically. That was like the only thing I talked about in my interview. So really? Oh yeah. I mean, I had no practical business experience. Oh, that's fair. So I was like, well, I managed a multi-million dollar budget. <laughs> Don't you know? You sure did. Um, any last thoughts on election, what it means about the world getting older? Um, this season on the show, I'm like uh, imagining that I'm like re-philosophizing the universe. So uh, from mm. what we talked about today, what, what kind of uh, philosophy should I apply to my new world? I think that um, it really shows us that we need to have uh, a multi-party system Great. in our governments because, I mean, we've talked about the polarization in the states and how bad things are getting when there's just two people running against each other. And can you imagine what that movie would have been like if it was just Tracy and Paul? Yeah. It would have been a very different race. Absolutely. And um, one of them could have won by a landslide because people didn't have choices or feel like they could just not vote. Um, Which like, maybe that's what we should be. I'm just kidding. You should vote everybody, please vote. (laughs) But I also understand why people are like this. I don't want to vote anymore. Like how many times can I vote to the point where we have a, in the United States, a democratic President and Congress, even though I know yeah, there's Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema being dickbags. But nothing happens because of, you know, nothing because that that's like what politics is ultimately. Because that's what it is. Sleepy Joe. And so I think <laughs> also, you know what I would have wanted more of from the movie? I wanted to know what her administration was like. I guess we saw it a little bit. I mean, other than her just like dictating Parley Pro and then yeah. screaming for Order, order. Which honestly order. sounds exactly like reality. Like, I'm sure, like, they did very little, but she did very little very well, you know? Right, so, right, right, right. I think for me, um, thinking about, like, me getting older, um, I'm excited about my life, like, beginning to, like, move in new directions. I've been, like, in Tokyo for a whole year. Um, my drag is, like, really getting restarted. Um, I love my, my podcast, and I love my friends, and I love writing, and I want to... Um, burn everyone in my way, everyone who disagrees. I want to, you know, rip up their posters and cut my hands on it so that I can accomplish what I want to do and um, feel in touch with the world while doing it. 
It's beautiful. Wow. On that note, Arigato Mina. Natalie Tanjovi Omedeito, happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Ja, mata nye. Yeah.